This is a, uh, as Krista framed for us so well, the Lord has been working in our hearts. Um, I once again found my way to Luke 22. Just let me tell you about it. Um, Peter uh, had big plans for walking with Jesus, and so did I. And um, Peter stumbled along the way, and so have I. And, um, and then, and then uh, Jesus says, I'm going now. Um, very soon I leave. And Peter said, no, Lord, we, we don't, I don't want that. May it never be. And I'll, I'll go, I'll, and, and Jesus, of course, uh, corrected him and said, it will happen. And, um, and Peter uh, said, I will, Jesus said, in fact, you're going to fall away from me when it does. And he said, no, no, you got it wrong, Jesus, not me. And I've fallen away from him at different times. Not, not far away, I, I don't think, but far, uh, far enough. And, uh, and then that's when Jesus introduced the word sifted, describing Peter. And he said, um, Satan has demanded that I give him permission to sift you. And uh, there's some indication that it wasn't just for Peter, it's for all the disciples. And may I extend it to all of us who are today disciples of Jesus? Uh, my sifting came in the middle of the night last night again, and it was uh, walking the, 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 the halls. They were quiet and dark in our home, but um, I was just like, Lord, had a lot of things on my mind, and... Um, I'm just telling you that because I think the Holy Spirit was in that. At first, I just kept uh, rebuking the devil, and then I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I'm here too. <laughs> and uh, you're right. He wants, to, he wants more than sifting. He wants to take you out. And, um, and it's the Holy Spirit who said, not on my watch. And... and um, so if, if, you need, if we need somebody to talk to that gets it, I'm not saying I get it all, but I'd be happy to talk with you and, uh, and visit with you if that's something of your experience these days. You who are online, and uh, you can reach me, just, just reach out, steve at gracepointfamily.com. Just do it that way if you're far away. Somehow get a hold of us. Don't, don't wonder, is this the devil just trying to beat the crud out of me, or is this the Holy Spirit um, trying to make me more bulletproof. And I suspect it's both. Uh, but anyway, we can talk about that later. Um, so previously in our uh, study in the book of Acts, which is uh, just a truly impactful experience for me, and many of you have expressed the same in your own journey with Jesus. And uh, um, we've called this also um, the Acts of the Apostles is what most Bibles render it. We've called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because truly it's uh, chapter after chapter of powerful things the Holy Spirit has done and I believe is still doing. So um, we stepped into last Sunday a powerful and true story. They all are from the Bible. In chapter 12 of Acts, where the Apostle Peter had been arrested by King Herod. And uh, his full name is Herod Agrippa I, one of four Herods in the uh, devilish dynasty of Herods. And he was P 
Peter, that is, was facing likely beheading as the apostle John had. Uh, He's now arrested, and we went into detail, kind of experiencing that with him, if you will, last Sunday. But he was arrested. Forget this. He was a loyal Jesus follower. There's no authoritative voice out there that knows for certain why Herod decided in chapter 12, we're told by Luke, who's telling the story, then Herod decided to mess with Christians again. He arrested some belonging to the church for the intention of persecuting them. Everybody reading that, I don't care if you're just a casual reader of the Bible, you have to go, why? Why would somebody just, let's say it, pick on Christians? Well, we live in the same kind of world today. It's not, we're not victims, but we are targeted. We are not tolerated anymore. We are disliked by many. If you follow all the way through to my logic there, you find your way to Matthew 24 when Jesus said, the love of many will grow cold. We're in some of those times right now. I'm absolutely certain of that. How much colder will it get? I don't know. But Peter's behind bars 2,000 years ago for nothing more than he was a loyal follower of Jesus. No one can find any, even Josephus and extra biblical uh, historians can't point to a for sure reason why is he in jail facing what happened just days earlier to a, a beloved apostle named John, except that he loved Jesus. Could we say it was a threat to Agrippa? At the very least, his his great-grandfather was so threatened by Christians he, and the newborn king that he sent to uh, Bethlehem where the king was born. And because and he couldn't find him, he killed all the newborn boys. I'd say that's crazy. So that night before Peter's expected execution, he was visited like we talked in deep detail about last week by an angel of God who miraculously sprang him from a heavily guarded jail. And it was so cool. This ominous development shined light last week, uh, not only to the title of my message, but to the deep implications of my message in verse 5 of chapter 12. Would you look at it? Hopefully you're there now and can see it with your own eyes. So Peter was kept in prison. It's night, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him, prompting last week our search of the question, what, can I frame it a little different today? What can happen if Christians pray? Um, Thomas Watson was a 17th century Puritan preacher and pastor. He said of this scene that we are just bumping into today and we'll go past now. uh, The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. You, You like it? It's worth more than a chuckle. Amen. Right? That's cool stuff. There were books by Frank Peretti years ago called This Present Darkness and uh, 
something else, the darkness, piercing the darkness, right? They were, I could not put them down. Most Christians in that day couldn't. And whether you want to argue the theology of one thing was for sure, I came away praying more and convinced more that there's an unseen enemy out there represented by demons everywhere that want to take me down. And the same is true of you. And I remember praying differently reading those novels because I went, you know something? He, he depicts it as it's, a, it's kind of a power cell. It's a source of power for angels who are doing some butt kicking, sorry my, my language, on devils and demons. It's not visible, but it was going on. And, and they, would, they would be doing great battle and, and becoming weary in doing so. And prayer fueled them up. That's what Thomas Watson from 17th century is saying. It was the prayers of God's people. Yeah, the angels sprung him, but the prayers of the people fetched him. I love it. I love it. Um, as we lean into the story, let's remember that uh, a missing prisoner, because he sprung him, he was out, went and visited briefly with the people to say, it's me, it's true, and then he disappeared, understandably because he was now a very wanted man. But there was more to deal with as a result of his escape. And that had to do with the prison guards, because to come to that jail the next morning and find the prisoner missing was more than a clerical error in the day. It was full-on treasonous. And... That explains verses 18 and 19. Would you look on? We're picking up on the other side of the story we looked at last week. In the morning, expecting Peter to be there, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. They were there. And their look was this. Don't know. I got one of those icons on my phone. All of them had that on their phone that day. Where's the prisoner? What had become of Peter? Look, verse 19. After Herod had thoroughly searched, had a thorough search made for him and did not find Peter, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So he did not treat this as an oops. It was treasonous. I want you to circle a couple of words. These, these are kind of important words. Verse 18 is the word in, in New, New International, commotion. See that? In the morning, there was no small amount of commotion. It's a stirring. The word means a stirring driven by great dismay. So it's like, if I can capture it here, what happened? Where is he? This can't be. And voices of those in charge said, search some more. He's got to be here. There is no, no explanation for why. And therefore, a manhunt was underway. Despite the manhunt, he made a thorough search. See how verse 19, a thorough manhunt was underway. Still no Peter. So they, you know, when you're in a manhunt, you can't find the guy. You come back together again. 
And that's what they did. Another expression for you, two words, hyphened words, cross-examined in verse 19 is really key. It's, it's a word that means to investigate carefully. There's a deep dig going on here. Notice it's Herod himself doing the interrogation. He's like, enough. You've been asking all the questions. What happened? And it wasn't him saying that to the head jailer. It was him himself. It was Herod. I want to know, and I want answers now. Nothing changed. Peter was gone. And we're told at the end of verse 19, the guards would pay the ultimate price. In these two verses, we've encountered something that was common in the ancient world. Uh, you and I have a hard time, even if we squint, to see the implications of this. Um, it's, it's something that was fairly common in the ancient world and is almost completely foreign to our life as we know it in this great country. We got our problems, but we don't have what they had. Not even close to it. What's that? It's the prerogative of a dictatorial despot. That's who Herod Agrippa I and his uh, uncle before him and his, uh, his grandfather before him. Uh, it's a ruler who holds absolute power and exercises it in cruel and oppressive ways. You don't have to get permission for nothing. Uh, stay with me now. History tells us, of course, that um, other people and nations have suffered under an autocratic authority including tyrannical rulers even in this present day, in North Korea, in Russia, and in China, and a host of other nations that just don't get a lot of press. It's going on everywhere. You need some proof of that? Check uh, Jesus Freaks Out. And uh, look at their, um, their sort of uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, a book that was, was very popular and read widely in its day. Um, Jesus Freaks is sort of the more modern version. There's probably others out there. Um, and they talk about um, persecution of Christians, like Peter, like John, um, by people that, I don't know, they're bored. They like hearing people cry and squeal. I don't know. But target, targeted among them, maybe mostly, is Christians. People who, like Peter and John, followed Jesus. So when the first church faced, uh, in, in the time of Herod, uh, they faced unchecked power. Let me say that again. If this was not the 21st century, we were the first church we would be living in this time of King Herod Agrippa I, and we would be facing unchecked power. Or was it? 
That's what the rest of my message is about. Let's read the rest of this chapter and let's see with our own eyes. So 19 continues, verse 19. Then Herod went from Judea. He's executed the the failed uh, jailers. He went from there to Caesarea, due west on the coast of the Mediterranean. And he stayed there. He had been quarreling. There's, there's, there's other speculation, nothing in the Bible that tells us exactly what he did, but likely there was some uh, sport games going on, and he wanted to be there and sort of be, uh, you know, entertained, if you will. So that's what I'm talking about. He just, you know, killed his jailers, killed John, and actually was planning to kill Peter. So he had a lot of people he wanted to kill, and in fact did. So he goes, and ah, now's the time to get my mind off that. Let's go watch some uh, Olympics, sport games. So he goes to Caesarea uh, to do that. And, um, and <clears throat> verse 19 tells us, he, or verse 20 continues, he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, How's that for a name to name your son? Um, A trusted personal servant of King Herod Agrippa. They asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Continuing, verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. I shouldn't have such pleasure in telling you that. <laughs> but that would have been, this, is, this should be a movie. And, but, but anyway, you get, get, get the idea. So let me, let me ask a question. Herod Agrippa, a god? <laughs> I have in my notes, a God, little g. He had it against, we're told, the twin cities to the north. We think of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Well, they had a Tyre and a Sidon. And if you drew a line straight up from Jerusalem and hooked to the left on the coast, there's this little ribbon of land just on the border of Israel that today is called present-day Lebanon. Okay, Lebanon. Tyre and Sidon was that place that, for whatever reason, he had issues. And there are complicated reasons that are um, too much speculation for me to spend our time on. The point is, he didn't like them. And the other point is, um, we know from the text that Herod, frankly, held all the cards. Because they didn't like him either, but he had all the food. And they were actually dependent on him for sustenance. We tick this guy off, as they're thinking, and we push him too far, he's going to shut off the food supply and what happens to us now. So we got to kind of lick his boots, if you will, and uh, kiss his ring and fawn over him to keep our people fed. They knew he was a bully, but they couldn't possibly get in the way of that. 
That, the, the word that comes to mind maybe for you as you hear this, he was, they were beholden, right? It's, it's hat in hand time for them. Okay. And so they'd come here, thanks to this negotiation by Blastus, um, they come with their hat in their hand, verse 20 tells us. And a meeting was set, and Herod's true heart was exposed in verses 21 and 22. There's a Roman Stoic named Seneca. You probably have read something about him in um, philosophy or religion history. Um, He said this, you can tell the character of every man, and I'm going to throw in woman. I I don't think it's any different. Every human. You can tell the character of every human when you see how they give and receive praise. Take that in now to candidates for office, all the way down to your personal handling of Seneca's observation. Are you stingy with praise, but do you drink it up when it's given? Clearly here... um, Much is revealed about Agrippa's character as he was lavished with praise. Uh, I want you to see in verse 22. Come back to that because there's an expression here that's uh, more alive than we see it in English. It says they shouted. uh, Verse 22, they shouted. It's an imperfect verb. And so in the New American Standard, they do a pretty good job of this. They kept crying out. So verse 22 says, they shouted, this is the voice of God, not of man. No, they kept crying out as, a God, a God, a God, the great Agrippa, the God. And it went on and on. It's an imperfect verb, which meant it just kept, it was like a chant. They were worked up to a lather. Uh, heaping it on, and at the same time, he's clearly drinking it up. Uh, So for a moment, just for a moment, if you take that picture in, contrast Agrippa's response with Peter's response. Back in chapter 10, he was told by the Holy Spirit, an angel told him, go north, and I want you to meet with a man named Cornelius. And when he went north and arrived, he was going to share the gospel with him. Cornelius had no clue. He was just told a special messenger's coming. And what did Cornelius do? If you remember the story, we've covered it already. He fell down in front of him, bowed down before Peter to worship him. So contrast what we've just taken in. He's a God. He's a God. He's a God. When they met Cornelius bowed down before Peter to worship, and Peter said this very thing in verse 26. Stand up, chapter 10 says. Stand up. I'm only a man myself. What a difference. What a a beautiful difference. You got Peter here who could have all the swag in the world. He walked with Jesus Christ. Agrippa, who knows who he walked with, and who cares? 
But you got Peter saying, no, no, no. He ordered Cornelius, get up. Stand up, sir. I'm, I'm just a man just like you. Who do you want to have over for dinner tonight? Seriously. Somebody says, oh, no, 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 don't give me the, the, the privileged seat. Can I, can I get you something from the kitchen? They're the guest. It's a beautiful contrast. Um, and, the, and, of course, it illustrates verse 23. I, I guess I get to read it again. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God. We're talking consequences in some cases are really fast. He, this angel of the Lord, strikes him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. Um, I'm going to speculate, but it's a fun speculation, so I think you'll let me get away with it. Um, we're not told most of the time. In Daniel, we're told uh, the name of an angel. We're also told in the birth story of Jesus, the name of an angel. But um, possibly the angel that busted Peter out of jail hung out a little longer. And I'm just going to speculate that he's the one that struck Herod with worms. I don't know. I don't know. But hey, Pete, follow me. <laughs> hey, Agrippa, die, dude. I don't know. I'm just going to say it's kind of a fun speculation, right? I mean, you, if you've got a better answer, you can let me know later. But um, So Herod's three-year reign ends in a graphic and gruesome way. And I think it warrants careful consideration and for the balance of our time, okay? Uh, I want us to make this personal. I, I want that every time I stand in front of you with the Word of God open. If all you do is go, wow, that brought to life that old story. Unless you mean that brought to life for me and my life, we haven't gone far enough, right? So that's how I approach the Bible in my own study, and I hope you do too. So Agrippa had a secular worldview of himself. Can we start there? Because you got to say, well, how come he, he didn't do what Peter did with Cornelius. I'm just a man. Quit calling me a god. Well, he had a secular world view. He saw himself as privileged and as good, and he, frankly, welcomed the praise. Talk to me, people. What a deal. What a cool dude. That's, that's his thinking. That's his mentality. How many do that today and Frankly, can I just say it? So don't, lose, don't let me lose you. Who can blame them? People in our world. I'm a big deal. And how can we blame them? If your definition of self is, is measured by things like views and likes and friends and the praise of others... May I say it on the basis of what we're reading here? A dangerous condition is lurking in your life. If you come away from more views that are more likes or more accolades, Swindoll used to call it headlines. 
It's a dangerous thing when you start believing your own stuff, what they're writing about you. I guess in that sense, if you're a preacher and no one likes you, you're pretty safe. It's a dangerous thing lurking here. So Peter, however, as we've said, he stands in stark contrast. His view of self is not shaped by this world anymore. It's shaped by Jesus. He saw himself as a man, not a God. That's That's like a north and south pole. That's Atlantic, Pacific, apart. Um, and despite, let's be honest about Peter, despite his failings, he denied knowing Jesus three times. You can read that in Luke 22. He was forgiven and restored. You can read that in John 21. And became a powerful leader through which Jesus planned to build his church. You can read that in Matthew 16. All these references are at the bottom of your notes. I hope you will take half the time I take to put them together and read them. And many of you do, and thank you. For your sake, thank you. You can get, you can get there deeply. So let me take it a step closer to home. How do you view you? I used to have people think of putting themselves in front of a mirror. And I'm not looking, I'm not, I'm not interested in, you know, well, I got too many pounds. I don't like doing that, Pastor. Forget. That's not what I mean. Look at yourself deeply right now, however you do that. And how do you view you? It's a really relevant question. And in answering it, don't expect much help from secular psychology or philosophy. In fact, I, I can almost go so far as to say expect no help at all. So I hold in my hand a shocking article. Um, and I'd be happy, by the way, to send this to you. Just ask me. It's a four-page article from CNN. Um, 2018, so four years old. It's titled, Breaking News Alert, like we haven't heard that every day, all day. Breaking News Alert, people are inherently good, nonviolent. How many found that shocking, like breaking news? How many agree with that? How many think it's absolute poppycock nonsense? Okay, some of you are like on the fence, so I'm going to help you decide, okay? The author, David Allen, he's not a guest author. This is a featured thing in CNN Health. I checked, he's still doing his thing. So Mr. Uh, Insight here is, this is from him. He starts off actually somewhat soundly, quoting, mass shootings, deadly hate crimes, terror, Think tonight's news. Murder, gun violence, and war all have their particular details. But each story revives age-old yet urgent questions about who we are as a species. I'll say, 
it raises questions. What, what have we become? What are we? What are humans becoming? He then quickly exposes his flagrant error and fallacious thinking. I'm quoting again. Stating our innate sense of good over bad is where we all start. Despite, stay with me, thousands of years of war and rape and homicide and other violence, we are all still fundamentally good. There you go. So go out and try to be gooder, everybody. And then his foolish summary, and in it he quotes well, my favorite musical of all time. Well, Sound of Music is, but then second to that is Les Miserables, Victor Hugo. The book's like, uh, like 5,000 pages or something, but it's a great movie. He quotes him. Listen closely. If the soul is left in darkness... Sins are committed. You agree with that? I do. He's not done. The guilty one is not he who commits the sin, but the one who causes the darkness. Oh. Oh, I see. Yeah, Flip Wilson. How many remember? Oh, the devil made me do it. That's it. If we're all inherently good, the question goes on in this article, then how come we see a lot of bad? Answer? Society. And who makes up society, sir? Um, uh, I'm out of words. I don't have anything else to say. So I want you to contrast that. And you know me... Look at the record. I don't pick on people from the pulpit. I'm picking on the, the, the deeply flawed logic of a human authority. Contrast that now with the eternal truth of the Word of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, says Romans 3, verse 23. Ask a toddler, ask a middle schooler, ask a high schooler or a graduate from a doctoral program. All means everyone. Means the same thing. Take this in from God's truth as well. There is no one righteous. No, not one. You said it yourself. No one righteous. Maybe anticipating that I'm going, I'm looking around, I don't see any righteous people out there. And he says, and no, not one. That's in Romans 3, Psalm 14, and Psalm 53. It's all in your notes. You can see it's a strong doctrine in the Bible. As for you, quoting now from Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit that's now at work in the, those who are disobedient. All of us, this is like the Bible saying, pulling me out and saying, don't just look and gawk and point fingers. All of us also lived among them at one time. 
describing me now. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we too were by nature deserving of wrath. I submit to you, I'm not sure how this plays out in real life, but the worst thing we can do to a child growing up is to say, despite their defiant disobedience, oh, you're a wonderful child, you're a wonderful human being. I'm not saying beat them up or you know, chastise them until they're, they're, they're not worth anything. But until we tell them, you know something, that was, that was wrong. And you need to repent And there's a reason it was wrong, because somehow in their little minds, you need to help them understand what the Bible emphatically says. You were born as a child of wrath. I know, I know we all, for a time, thought we had the exception in our arms when we came home from the hospital. You know, I'm here to tell you, not not true. My parents gave that sucker up a long time ago in my case. (laughs) And not true in anybody else's. I want to make it a step more personal. Eugene Peterson, many of you read The Message. He wrote a great book, uh, a very probing title, Under the Unpredictable Plant. You get extra credit and free coffee next door if you know what he's talking about. But he says this, every congregation, this, this is... This stops you and me from saying, yeah, man, I see it all over town. Every congregation is a congregation of sinners, Peterson says. He's not done. And if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners as pastors. Thank you for not saying amen. Some of you are tempted right now. (laughs) We knew. That's right. Thank you. So, This this reminds me of a long-time missionary friend, the way he prays, and he prays this all the time. He starts this way, and I I remember I peeked after I heard him do this a few times. He still does this. They met and married in our college ministry in California, and they're in Thailand today, and the worst part of their job as missionaries is coming home to keep supporters happy because they're there to translate the New Testament in the language of a people that have never heard it. Right? You know how he prays? God, you are awesome. And we aren't. As Rick Warren said with a jolt in the opening of a book that has sold more than any other book in history besides the Bible, it's not about you. And some people, upon hearing that today, even here, you can hide it behind a pleasant smile, but maybe you're online, you don't have to hide anything. But after hearing that, you're appalled. Because you've been told not once or twice, but your whole life, it is all about me. After all, don't we live in the I world? It's not a mistaken label. It's a deeply entrenched and held belief. 
Well, the Bible has an answer. And it has a, let's call this answer more than just words. It's an antidote for that sickness. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul, who had credentials a mile long, said this of himself, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live today that you see in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Why would a sinless Savior go to a cross for great people? They don't need it. He's the one that went to a cross for all of sinful humanity because all have sinned. I love this plea from Romans 12, 3. For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment. For God has given to us a measure of faith to live out a life that pleases him. We're being, we're being admonished today to find the answer to the question of the title of my message, who are you? To find that answer in Jesus and to reject anything else that even sounds good. Because the devil's not going to go, uh, give you something way off the mark. He'll give you something close. But it takes you to a totally different outcome. And verse 24, we can't close the page, is beautiful because not only did Paul have his life transformed by Jesus and Peter have his life transformed, countless others here and in our gathering elsewhere, are the result of verse 24, which marks the worldwide movement of the gospel. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Praise God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Uh, are you one of them who who sees life not turning out so well, you've got problems, you've got uh, stubborn issues that won't go away, won't get better, and, and you're, you're conflicted. You, how, do you, how do you match that with what your reality is? You've been, you've been told your reality says, I, I messed up. I'm broken. Everywhere I turn, I'm turning to broken people. They don't have answers. And yet I've been told I'm good. We're all good. Just have a little hang-up, a little handicap here and there. Are you one of them? Or today, are you one of those that says, no, I've met Jesus. And um, maybe today puts new words to it. From that day on, Jesus had to dismantle this house of cards that said, I'm I'm the, I'm the God of my world. And had to say, you know, you're not. 
You're, you're not. Uh, in fact, it's not about you at all. This morning I'm convinced that there are people who are saying, oh, this is a reset of my soul. If that's true, I want to give you moments today. We want to let the Holy Spirit lead in the response. We're going to sing a song, The Heart of Worship. You know the song, but um, maybe you hadn't sung it with real thought recently. Um, the song really challenges the notion it's, it's not about you. And answers it not once or twice, but 12 times. It's all about you, Jesus. So I want to invite you this morning. There are pillows here to, to make it comfortable to you to come forward and bow at the altar. Bow, bow before Jesus and say, maybe in some way, you don't have to make it even public yet. You just need to come and by a demonstration of your obedience to say, Jesus, undo some of this uh, disturbing hold in my life and, and replace it with the reality that it is all about you. And as you make your way to the front, there'll be leaders here, others that may just put an arm around you and just join you in prayer, maybe for themselves, certainly in support of you as God kind of resets some things for all of us. Let's come before him now.